going to open with a short word of prayer. Father, just pray that uh, what I say will be from you. And Father, we just ask you, will open our hearts to your Holy Spirit to listen to him and to point us to Jesus. In his name we ask. Amen. Well, good morning again. Our two readings this morning are about good news. And boy, does our community, our country, our world need the good news. It's been an amazing two or three months in our country's history with lots of political change. It's been an amazing two or three months in the world as we've seen terrorism, as we've seen the results of human fall at work. But there is good news. And I want to concentrate on three things today. One is the gospel. Do we know what the gospel is? We may think we know what the gospel is. We should know what the gospel is if we are followers of Jesus Christ. But we need to have clarity about the gospel. Secondly, do we have confidence in that gospel? Does it do what it says on the tin? And just to remind you, what did it say in that right reading? The first reading we had from Romans? It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone. And finally, have we got the courage and the commitment to tell and to live that gospel out? So clarity, confidence, and courage. Three C's. The gospel. We all know, I hope, that God loves us. His word clearly, time and time again, points us to that amazing fact. He loves me. That's a big thing. He loves you. That's a big thing. And he loves people. Doesn't matter what those people are like. It doesn't matter what they're like. If they're part of IS, if they are hardened terrorists, it doesn't matter what they're like. He loves them. I can say that with absolute clearness and clarity because his word tells me that. It says later on in that letter to the Romans, very simply this. It says, for God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. We weren't good. We thought, did, and practiced bad things. God, remarkably, 
wonderfully, scandalously loves us and loves people like that. His heart breaks when they don't respond to that love. And there is a consequence eventually for that. But nonetheless, he loves them. If you are a parent, and forgive me if you're not, but if you are a parent, probably that big lesson dropped into my thick Irish brain when I became a dad. And even when my kids did things sometimes that were wrong and disappointing, it did not stop me loving them. And that's but a pale, pale reflection as to what God does and feels for each one of us. He loves us, and he demonstrated it because Christ died for us. Paul, in another letter to disciples, writes, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Of first importance, pointing them to the greatest demonstration of God's love. The greatest act, the only act that can bring us back into the full wonder of that love. God sending his son Jesus to live as a human being, to experience all that we do, to die in our place, and hallelujah, to rise again. That's the gospel. That's it. Paul, the man who wrote those words about what the gospel was, knew, knew what it was like to encounter Christ. He knew what it was like to conform to things before he knew Christ. He was a zealous Jew who persecuted, yes, and probably even presided over the judicial murder of Christians, and then to be transformed totally and utterly by the living Christ, who he met and who he built a relationship with and through to his heavenly father. Paul knew what it was like. And you know, there are people today who still know what that very black and white kind of transformation is like. I've had the great privilege of meeting some people like that. For most of us, it mightn't be as dramatic in human terms as presiding over death and then finding someone who is presiding over life in all its fullness. But nonetheless, that spiritually is the picture. We were dead and now we are alive because of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. It changes people. And because it changes people, 
it can change lives, communities, and even nations. I had the great privilege of being in Korea last month. Do you know in Korea in 1952 or three, about three to four percent of the population were Christians or claimed to be Christian. Today, that's somewhere between 27 and 30 percent of the population. And Christians have a huge effect on that nation's life. It's a moot point, and it can be offensive, and it can be theologically challenged, but many Korean Christians claim that the prosperity of their country is directly attributable to the fact that so many in their country have turned to Jesus Christ. Even if you don't agree with that, it's something that makes you think. Because, you know, actually, that's what this book teaches. Salvation transforms. Doesn't mean we'll all have an easy life, but it transforms. It does. It really, really does. Can you think what our community and country would be like if people were genuinely following Jesus Christ? I wonder what the National Health Service would be like. I wonder what the defense budget would be like. I wonder what the social service budget would be like if the vast majority of our people really sincerely followed Jesus Christ. It's a personal thing, but it's a community, and it's a national, and it is a world thing. The gospel changes people. Confidence. We read in those verses from Colossians exactly who and what Jesus Christ is. I'm going to read them again because there's nothing like scripture to tell you about Jesus. And I'm going to read it from a slightly different version from the one we heard in our reading. We look at this son and see the God who can't be seen. We look at this son and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and it finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection prayed, he's supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there. He towers far above everything and everyone. 
So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and they fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time you'd your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for us, Christ brought us over to God's side and put our lives together, whole and holy, in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded, steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. You know, we're not asked to have confidence in the gospel because we're us, because I'm Joss McCabe, because the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Pope, says it. We have confidence in the gospel because of that and passages like it pointing us to the person that we should have confidence in, Jesus Christ. It says in that passage, and it is a paraphrase, it says, eh, you don't walk away from a gift because that's what the gospel is too. It's a gift, a free gift of God. You don't walk away from a gift like that, do you? But you know, people do. People do. That's a sad, sad fact. In, in God, in a great act of mystery and love, allows people to make a choice. But wow, what, what are they missing out of? This is the gospel we should have confidence in. Everything, everything broken gets fixed. That's the promise. That's the promise. Courage and commitment. How do we proclaim and live it out? Scripture, again, gives us some ideas. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. I think God wrote that especially for Ulstermen. Gently instruct. We're not known to be a gentle race. Eh? But still, we have to be respectful and gentle when we witness. 
Through thick and thin, keep your hearts at attention in adoration before Christ your master. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why the way, why you're living the way you are. Note that, living the way you are. It's not just, hey, do you know Jesus? People have got to see it makes a difference for me and for you as to how we lead our daily lives. Francis of Assisi once said, preach the gospel, use words if you must. Okay, our lives should be like that, our lives. Jesus says it directly to his disciples in Matthew, in the Sermon of the Mount, and he's talking to disciples. Disciples, let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God's not a secret to be kept. Go public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Our lives should shine. I know mine doesn't a lot of the time, but he still loves me remarkably. We need to be able to give a reason and to tell people about Jesus. We need to make a difference in how we live. And that's the application. Paul, again, in that letter to the Romans in chapter 12, tells us that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, that we shouldn't conform to the world. We should transform. You know, the fashions of the world change. We, or at least I, find it sometimes very often easy to conform. I don't mean just fashions by clothes. I mean, you know, the philosophies of the world's change. The philosophies of our own country here in the UK are changing before our eyes, and they constantly change. Perhaps the speed is hotting up. And again, we can debate some of those changes are they good or not. But we're asked to question them. We're told, don't conform, transform. And Paul tells us that. And Christ tells us that through Paul. It demands radical change. Don't match our life to the world. Don't be a chameleon Christian. A chameleon changes appearance to suit its surroundings. We're told, no, no. Maybe the way we present our message changes a little, but the message stays. And how Christ requires us to live stays. It goes on in that chapter. Ten points for Christian living. Love must be sincere. No hypocrisy. Hate evil. Cling to good. Be affectionate and brotherly love. Give priority to others. Don't lack yours in zeal. Be passionate and ready to work hard for God. Keep spiritual fervor. Read Romans 12. 
Read it for yourselves. And then apply it. You know, the other part of the good news, and it isn't a cheap gospel, is that God loves us when we don't live up to the demands of Christian living. He still loves us. If we turn back, repent, he picks us up again, puts us back in Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit to walk on with him. And I'm going to finish with this. May the God of peace sanctify us. May our whole spirits and souls and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. Again, the confidence in the gospel. It's not up to us. It's all, every single bit of it, due to and up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you.